0: Welcome, all of you across our network. Shout out to our Bendor family as well as those joining us online as we join you here from Rock Island. This is week three of Fearless, a journey where we're exploring how we actually can fear less, how we can avoid the fear that grips us in the complexity of our day. See, there's plenty of things in life that will just draw us into to being fearful. And that complexity can just hold us tightly. But we actually can fear less. We just need to know how. Which is why we're looking at the lives of a few individuals who figured out how to navigate the complexity of their day and to live boldly and courageously. And if you missed any part of that journey so far, I want you to know you can get caught up at heritageqc.com under the media tab. But let's just take a moment now and I want to discuss and review a foundational principle for us in this journey. And it centers around primary authority. Because whoever we give primary authority to in our life determines who we are and what we do. They determine our identity and our purpose. And we can place primary authority in one of four areas. We can give primary authority to God, we can give primary authority to other people, primary authority to established authority or government, or we can even give it to ourselves. Whoever we give primary authority to determines who we are and what we do. Now God wants to have primary authority in our life. He created us, he's given us life. He has a purpose and a plan for us. He wants to have primary authority so he can define who we are and what we do. And then when we give him primary authority, he positions us to submit to him. This is the way it should be. Because he also then gives us the ability to interact with others, where we consider others better than ourselves and to be able to relate to established authority and government. This is how it should be. But every time we move primary authority, we mess with our identity and our purpose. It gets confusing. But we all have a default we can all default to different expressions of where we place that primary authority and for some of us we place primary authority with others and we live as a people pleaser. For some of us we place primary authority with government because we're putting our hope in government and we have this comfort in rules. But most often the default that most of us have is to place primary authority with ourselves. So we decide who we are and what we do and then we piecemeal it out to the other three. That's problematic. For lots of reasons, including the fact that it positions God to submit to us. And that shouldn't be. See, every time we move primary authority from the divine, we place power and influence in places it was never intended to be. And that's always problematic. This is where we're starting the conversation. In fact, again, we're not talking about removing fear, but overcoming fear. We're not talking about the absence of fear, but the ability to do what's right in the face of it. Because there is no courage without fear. We cannot be courageous if we're not afraid of something. So to be courageous requires this element of fear which positions really fear to be a call to exercise courage. When we experience that fear, it should be a prompting to exercise courage, which inherently means that there should be action, which takes us to our first fill-in if you're tracking along in your note guide, that courage cannot be separated from action. Courage cannot be separated from action. Separated from what? From action. Look, it's not just realized in an internal belief only. It needs a framework of expression in action. This is why this whole conversation is not about removing fear, but overcoming it. So let's look at an example of this in Scripture, though. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. If you start in Psalms and you start working your way back, you'll hit Daniel. But Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, we're gonna be in Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six. Now, this is a a pretty familiar story for many of us. It's actually one of the first stories I remember learning as a kid, and it's usually titled or called Daniel in the lion's den, rather than what I think the title should be, which is that that Daniel keeps primary authority with God and doesn't remove it in the complexity of his day and everything works out fine but I don't think that title fit on flannel graph very well, so we'll just stick with Daniel in the lion's den, all right? Now most of us, when we think of this scenario, we think of Daniel as a young man, fearfully crying out in that pit, surrounded by snarling lions, kind of looking like this picture here. That's what we visualize. But this actually isn't accurate. And it's not accurate for me in two ways. One is that Daniel is no longer a young man at this point in his journey. He's in his 80s. He, He was exiled back when he was a teenager. And now, he's an older man, faithfully following God. So he's not a young man in this dynamic. The second thing is, I don't think this was his demeanor. I don't think he was fearful. I think he was, based on his daily practice, the way he lived his life, he was able to fear less in this dynamic. And I think the situation probably looked more like this artist's rendition of an older, faithful man of God, still focused on his Lord and not distracted by the circumstances around him. I think this is more the dynamic that Daniel ex- had engaged in and was experiencing in this moment. Now again, we don't really know. There is no real picture of this moment. But what we do know is that Daniel was a man of prayer. And prayer changes things. And we give God primary authority, and we're faithful to honor God in the complexity of life, and we pray God does the miraculous. And I want to look at how he did that in Daniel's life today. But in order for us to do that, we're going to need to back and rewind a bit from this moment to understand how he got here. Because as you heard me say, Daniel was part of an exile. In 605 B.C., Daniel and a group of other men from noble and royal families were taken to Babylon. They were stripped of their identity, stripped of their culture, their language, their relationships. They were stripped of their freedom. It was a very complex situation. But in that dynamic, Daniel continued to choose to give God primary authority in the midst of all that, to be holy in unholy times. He repeatedly chose faithfulness to God, and God rewarded that faithfulness because the favor of God always comes with following God. It always comes with following God. Now, at this point in the journey, in chapter 6, there's a king who's ruling, whose name is Darius. And Darius decides to put 120 people in charge of different places in his kingdom, and to put three people in charge of those 120. One of those three was Daniel. And Daniel was was so good, so effective, the favor of God was so clearly upon him that that Darius wanted to elevate him to a position to rule the entire kingdom. So you gotta understand something. When we give God primary authority, it is not just about our relationship with him. It is about that, but it also impacts our ability to relate to others and our ability to relate to government. And when we sit in the complexity of life, continuing to give God primary authority, he works in the complexity of government and others for us. But the moment we try to turn that over and put primary authority to to ourselves, well now, once again, we're asking God to submit to us And now we have to navigate the drama and complexity of government and other people. And that's high drama. (laughs) We never want to do that. We want to keep primary authority with God. And that's what Daniel does in the story, and the dynamic that we're looking at today as we unpack this. But even when we keep primary authority with God, it doesn't mean that people in government do. And that creates problems for us, and it created problems for Daniel. So let's take a look at what happens. We're starting in verse 4 in chapter 6 at this, and and that's the idea that Darius is going to promote Daniel in charge of everybody, the administrators and the set traps, the set traps, that's a Persian word for protector of the realm, those are those 120 folks, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. This was about jealousy, this is about greed and pride. Daniel had favor, he had success, and these guys were coming at him but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So listen, Daniel kept primary authority with God, which allowed him to submit to establish authority in government and still serve others in that complexity. And he didn't make it about himself. The most ineffective officials always make it about serving themselves. And Daniel didn't do that. He made it about serving God. So here's what happens next in verse 5 as we continue on. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. How's that for reputation? How's that for being picking a place to be vulnerable? If we're going to be vulnerable in our life, let it be in a place that God needs to show up and be deliverer and defender of us and himself. I mean, but that takes courage to sit in places where we let God be deliverer and defender for us. Now, Daniel, hear me, Daniel's not perfect. He wasn't sinless. Scripture's describing really a man of high character, of high integrity, personally and professionally. Unfortunately, in our world today, that's not all that common among leaders and administrators even the men who were trying to trick and get Daniel caught up in this dynamic, they weren't living with high character. We, we, we already know they've moved authority because any time we live one way publicly and we live one way privately, we have already moved authority to ourselves, and we're picking and choosing how we behave and act in every dynamic. That's what these guys had already done. But Daniel didn't do that. So here's what happens. See, these administrators, they go to the king and they say, hey, king, you rock, you're awesome, we think you're the coolest. And therefore, we think that for the next 30 days, no one should be allowed to worship any other god, because you're a god, and, or any other human. And if they do, we'll just throw them in the lion's den. How's that sound? King's like, that sounds great. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. It sounds very affirming. All right, great, king, let's put it in writing. We'll make it solid and committed. Like it's not, nobody can change it. Let's put it in writing. And so they do. They put it in writing. Now, this is pretty tricky Because these guys go to the king and they actually flat out lie. They say, hey, king, all of the administrators and all the set traps, we've all talked about this and we all agree, which is a lie, because Daniel wasn't involved and he was one of the three administrators. But then they play off the king's pride and his desire for a unified kingdom. And what they do is they actually position him to think that they're giving him primary authority and that they're submitting to him and that no other God can be worshipped and everybody agrees, including Daniel, because he's the individual in our story. This is what they position the king to think is happening, but in reality what's happening is they're positioning themselves to have that primary authority, getting the king to submit to them, creating problems for Daniel and positioning God not to be the only one true God. Do you see this? Now, we all know that anytime somebody else makes a decision that tries to shift primary authority in our life, it causes problems for us. When the government does it, when our boss does it at work, when school, place, school does it, when, when, even when our family does it, it creates problems in our world. But if you're still tracking in your note guide, that takes us to the next fill-in. that divine purpose trumps daily problems. Divine purpose trumps daily problems. And if you're out there thinking, or drifting, thinking this is a political endorsement, it is not. I'm not talking about a presidential candidate. Come on, people, focus back with me. I'm talking about how God's divine purpose beats and overrides and trumps all of our daily problems. How what God wants to happen can actually be, overcome the things that get in the way. How what God wants to do in and through us is more significant and important than the problems that we face in life. Divine purpose trumps daily problems. All we need to do in that dynamic is keep primary authority with God and not move it. And that's what Daniel did. Let's take a look, moving on in this dynamic to verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and there he complied with the edict. No. No, he didn't. He kept primary authority with God. And so three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Look, Daniel did not allow the edict to move primary authority. No directive can move primary authority. Only we can move primary authority by our own choices. We got to keep primary authority where it belongs. Look, Daniel... He didn't, he didn't move it. He, he took a posture of dependence on God where he risked beyond recovery. He risked in, in, in disregarding this and keeping primary authority with God. He knew that death was the punishment. He risked in a place that he couldn't fix the problem. But he didn't risk beyond God's covering. He risked beyond recovery but not God's cover. That's a very good place to be. In that space, God shows up. See, Daniel didn't let the decree change his action one way or the other. It doesn't seem like he prayed any more. He certainly didn't pray any less. He simply continued his posture of faithful submission to God. To, to change either way, to, to pray less, was to submit to the authority of government and others in this dynamic. Or even to frantically pray more could have been an indication that he was trying to take control himself and embracing fear rather than trust and dependence. He didn't, he didn't do either of those. He chose to keep primary authority with God and to trust. Now, before we go further and to see what happens next in this story, I want to take a moment to understand this dude's prayer life. Because we get a lot from just these few moments here. First of which, the upper room reality. This was a private place of prayer. So Daniel didn't look at prayer as a means of gaining favor with people or getting public attention. It was a private conversation with God where he stepped away, not for any attention, but for focus upon God. The second is that focus reality in another level. You see, that open window towards Jerusalem for me is a reminder he knew where the focus was, even though he'd been in exile for decades. He understood whose he was and who God was. And that focus towards Jerusalem, the place where sacrifice should be offered in the temple, he kept a focus in the complexity. But then there's two other things that I think we learn here. One is about posture and the other is about priority. See, when we pray, we can pray in any posture at any time. But Daniel chose to take a kneeling posture in his prayer life. And it was a a demonstration, an example of submission, acknowledgement of primary authority in his life, that it was God who had primary authority. And, And then this issue of priority, time. The guy was one of three administrators in a vast empire, yet he still found time to pray. He still made time to pray. And we're only talking about the three formal times of prayer. I don't think it's a stretch to realize that he probably prayed hundreds of times a day in such a complex dynamic, offering up those brief moments of prayer, those those just moments of like, God, you got to step into this, that praying without ceasing reality. That's not a stretch to believe he did that. And it's actually something that we can do, which you got to understand. Prayer is the greatest privilege on earth, people. Greatest privilege on earth. And we can engage it at any moment. And we can have a focus in it that's more varied than many of us take. Because if you understand what, what Daniel's doing here, at first we see that he's thanking God. In verse 10, in verse 11, we realize he's asking God. We're going to see that in a moment. But I wonder what the nature of your prayer life is today. See, most people just do a lot of asking and very little thanking. Most people in their prayers do a lot of talking and very little listening. But it's actually healthy to have intention and balance in how we engage in prayer, when we pray, when we talk, when we listen. Because prayer moves things in heaven, which then in turn moves things on earth. And it's the greatest privilege on earth. So let me share with you just a a framework that maybe you could consider implementing in your own prayer life. And it just comes from the acronym or the word CHAT. C-H-A-T. It stands for, as a reminder of, confess, honor, ask, and thank. Consider organizing your prayer life in this way, where you start your conversation with God, where you're confessing the junk of your life, the sin. Look, he already knows your sin. Go ahead and have the conversation with him about it. Get it out there. Get it right. Get it clean. But then honor him. Take time to praise him. Acknowledge who he is, his greatness, his his glory, his magnificence, that that you give him primary authority in your life. But then go ahead and step into asking. Daniel, Daniel asks. Ask him for the things that you... you you feel like you need. Ask him for answers. Go ahead and engage. He loves you. He's a good father who wants to provide. So ask. But then be sure to move on to thanks. Daniel engaged in thanking. And many times in our prayer life, it's all about the asking and not about the thanking. And maybe this could be a helpful format for you as you engage in conversation with God and you engage in in the greatest privilege on earth in your own personal journey. But let's get back to Daniel's journey for just a moment. If we go back to verse 11, we see that He was praying and thanking God just as he'd done before, but then that these men, which, okay, you think about this, there's two other administrators and 120 set traps. This had to be a bit funny for me. Like, there's 122 people hiding around the corner. I don't really know. But at least a group of them has gone snooping around. They went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Praying and asking God for help. Now, this whole moment for me is still a little bit funny, but then these guys turn around. Either there's 122 of them or just a small recon group, but they go to the king and they say, hey, king, hey, you remember that whole, like, we think you're cool and you rock and people should only worship you for 30 days thing? Otherwise, we kind of feed the lions with them. He's like, yeah, I remember that. And are like, okay, well, your boy Daniel, he's praying. He's not praying to you. In fact, he doesn't listen to you at all, which is a lie. He wasn't disrespecting the king. He just had higher respect for God. He was keeping primary authority where it belonged. But these guys manipulate the situation. And when the king hears this, he's distressed. In fact, he commits to rescue Daniel. He's not mad. He commits to rescue Daniel. He works until sundown to try to stop the impending punishment upon Daniel for what had happened. Now, I like Darius. I mean, he's not perfect. But he was able to be selfless. He he struggled with pride. That's how these guys tricked him in the first place. But then he was still able to care about others. And he realizes at this point, he knew he messed up. But instead of blaming others, he tries to fix it. He knew he was responsible. And he worked as long as he could because the custom of the day was that an execution was to be carried out on the evening of the day that the accusation was founded. So he had till sundown. And he couldn't successfully get Daniel out of it. It was, it was a watertight scheme it was a complex scenario, difficult scenario. But that takes us to one of the realities, whenever we give God primary authority, it has an implication, has multiple implications, but here's one of them. Whenever we give God primary authority, God leads us places we'd rather not be. When we give God primary authority, he leads us places we'd rather not be or rather not go for his glory. For his glory. That's what happens when we're willing to sit in a space where we let God have primary authority. He works in the good and the bad. He works in triumphs and tragedies. Keep this in mind. Let's step back into what happens because in verse 16, things begin to change. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you, conti- whom you serve continually. Man, I love that. Your God whom you serve continually. I hope that people say that about you and me. Your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. Rescue you. This is a much different conversation than Nebuchadnezzar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the furnace thing. I mean, it seems like the furnace is gone and they've upgraded the uh, operating system to the lion operating system here right now, people. It's kind of like a Mac transition. Mac joke, people. Never mind, don't worry about it. Look, in this dynamic... There's no indication of excuse. There's no indication of justification or explanation from Daniel. Daniel knew the edict. He knew the law. He knew moving positional or primary authority would be problematic, that he couldn't do it. Now, perhaps he was a bit uncertain how the details would play out, but he was totally certain in God's ability to work in the complexity as long as he kept primary authority with God. He knew he couldn't move primary authority. See, we limit God's ability to work in our complexity every time we move primary authority. That's why we have to keep it there with him. So here's what happens. A stone's rolled in front of the, the opening. They, the king seals it with his ring so nobody messes with Daniel inside, even his enemies. And then the king goes back, and he has a sleepless night. He's distraught. He, he, he doesn't eat. He's, he doesn't want to be entertained. He has a rough night. He cannot sleep. Because Daniel, in one day, in one moment, went from the palace to the prison Because God leads us places we don't want to be for his glory. And people can accuse us with agenda, and that can have repercussions. But God still works in that complexity. He works in triumphs and tragedies. And I'm actually convinced that Daniel had a better night than Darius. I really do. When we give God primary authority, it creates the space for us to be able to do that kind of thing. When we give God primary authority, we can leave circumstances in His hand and stand keeping our gaze fixed on Him, not worried about what's happening behind us in our circumstances. And we trust Him to work in the good and the bad. I think Darius thought that night would really never end. I think he thought the night would never end. But Daniel must have had an awesome, epic night. He was hanging with lions and an angel. (laughs) Epic moment. But I guarantee he prayed. And not because he was in distress, because that was his established habit. That's, that's how he continued to establish primary authority with God. He, he wasn't just praying in this crisis like many of us do. When we get into a bad situation, then we start to fire off prayers. No, he had, a, he had a habit of prayer that was well established in his daily life. And that established primary authority in his daily life. And that's really important because what we do habitually will define what we do circumstantially. And habitual faithfulness leads to supernatural deliverance when we're habitually faithful to God, it leads to his supernatural deliverance and invention, intervention. Because we've got to understand that the presence of God precipitates the power of God. If you're still tracking in your note, God, that the, the presence of God precipitates the power of God. It precedes the power of God, his presence. We need to experience the presence of God before we can experience the power of God. And when we risk for him, our security is not that we have him, but that he has us. And if we want to know the power of God, we must first know God and how to get alone with him. We have to pray. The presence of God precipitates the power of God. And however God wants to orchestrate your circumstances in life, your duty is to pray. We can handle lots of things in our own strength. Humans are quite extraordinary, but the greater challenge is to live faithfully 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. As Oswald Chambers once wrote, though, it is inbred in us that we have to do exceptional things for God. But we do not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things. To be holy in mean streets among mean people. And this is not learned in five minutes. This is the challenge for those who keep primary authority with God, to be faithful in the ordinary, consistent among mean people and mean streets. If we're going to experience the power of God, we first have to know him. We must know his presence. And our daily practices define his presence, and that determines the access to his power. because The presence of God precipitates or precedes the power of God. And what protected Daniel was not his practice but God's presence. It was the presence of God, not the practices of Daniel that spared Daniel. We need to experience the presence of God before we can experience the power of God. And Daniel was ready. Check out what happens in verse 19 and on. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, I love his confident but conflicted question. (laughs) You see that? He's like, has your God done that? But I don't know if he has. What's the deal in this? But here's what happens next. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. The dude's not focused on himself even now. May the king live forever. He's still submitting to established authority while keeping primary authority with God. May the king live forever. My my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of lions, and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, God's sight first, primary authority of God, nor... Because I was in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty, submitting to established authority while keeping primary authority with God. Do you see this, people? When we keep primary authority with God, we're positioned to submit to established authority in all that complexity as well as relate to others. Here's what goes on the very next part. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had kept primary authority with his God. He didn't move authority in the dynamic and complexity. Look, divine purpose trumps daily problems. And God can be trusted even when you and I can't predict the outcomes that are in front of us. Keeping primary authority with him allows us to connect and relate to established authority and deal with others because Darius goes on to punish those other guys very significantly. Look, let's go to so what in this. And it's just, I want you to begin by understanding that changing what's happening around us, changing what's happening around us starts by changing what's happening within us. If you want to see change around you, You need to start working on changing things within you. The the ability to change the world around us starts with changing the world within us. That's the the world of worry. That's the world of fear, the world of purity, the world of faithfulness, the world of trust, authority, and submission. Changing what's happening around us starts by changing what's happening within us. We have to be personally different if we expect to implement public change. It's the idea that outward reform begins with inward renewal. That outward reform begins with inward renewal. If you want to see change, be the change. And prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. It's the most direct, pervasive, effective means of changing what's happening within us and changing what's happening around us. So when you're faced with a choice, pray. When you're faced in a scenario with no choice, pray. When you're faced with doubt, pray. When you're faced with government making mistakes, pray. When you're faced with people who seek to harm you and malign you, pray. We have everything we need to engage in prayer. Everything we need to bring the power of a holy God to bear on the things of this life. If we just do it. Keep primary authority and engage him in prayer. Now let me be clear. It was the presence of God, not the practice of Daniel that that facilitated this miracle. So here's the challenge. Whatever you're facing... If you want to know the power of God, you must know him and how to get alone with him. You must know how to pray. You must take time to pray and keep primary authority where it belongs. Now, that starts with acknowledging Jesus as Lord. If you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior, God does not have primary authority in your life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. You may want to give God primary authority, but if you have not made the decision to give Jesus authority in your life, then God doesn't have primary authority, and you're trying to deal with that complexity in some other way. But today you can make a decision where you receive Jesus as Lord. You find forgiveness for your sin, receive the promise of eternal life, and begin to walk with God, giving him primary authority. And that starts with a simple prayer. There's an example of that on the back of your note guide. If you've not taken the time to have that conversation, I implore you to do it. This world is far too complicated to try to navigate it without giving God primary authority. And that starts by giving Jesus authority as Lord and Savior in our life. At the end of our Game of Life series, we actually talked about a concept about we all live in the tension between certainty and uncertainty. We all face the reality of things that we don't know and things that we do know. And the uncertainty can cause us to drift over to this side where out of insecurity rooted in fear, we take control, we move primary authority to ourselves and we live independently. At the same time, we can be so confident we think what's supposed to happen that we can run over here and demand something of God out of arrogance and pride. Again, we've moved primary authority and we're living independently. But instead of drifting and demanding, God wants us to drive down in our relationship with him, keeping primary authority with him. And we sit in a posture of dependence. And that's demonstrated in trust and obedience. This is exactly what Daniel did. In the complexity of his moments, in the complexity of his day, between the certainty and uncertainty what was going on, he chose a posture of dependence. He gave God primary authority. And that allowed God to do the miraculous. The same can happen for you and I. I know we don't have to look very far to find things that leave us unsettled, that draw us to worry and to fear. That complexity can just suck us in, but we can fear less. We can demonstrate courage amidst the complexity and fear less. Consider the words of Paul to the church in Corinth. He said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When he says light and momentary, he's not diminishing the significance of our troubles. He's putting them in perspective. The divine purpose trumps the daily problems. He's saying, look, whatever's happening around you, deal with what's first happening within you. Then you can influence what's happening around you. This is the opportunity for us to, in the midst of the complexity, to navigate all of that. So let me ask you a question. In what fearful, uh, fearful uncertainty is God asking you to risk faithfully? In what dynamic or situation in front of you is God asking you to risk faithfully in that uncertain, fearful dynamic? The complexity in your life may feel like a lion's den to you today. People may be seeking to harm you. They may be seeking to malign you. That stuff may loom ahead of you, just tempting and taunting you to move primary authority. But listen, you can, like Daniel, choose not to do it. And every time you do, God will show up in that very same complexity and do what only he can. And we never have to defend primary authority with God. We only have to deal with the implications of moving primary authority or not. So keep authority with Him. Depend on His ability to work and move in the complexity of your world today. That complexity that you're facing, that paradigm is often just simply a test of faithfulness. So choose to be faithful in what fearful uncertainty is God asking you to faithfully risk. Where is He asking you to risk beyond in in faithfulness, in authority, in dependence. Daniel did all of that in one day. And so can you. So can you. Here next week, we're going to talk more specifically about how all of this plays out in realities like our upcoming election. You don't want to miss it because all this conversation positions us to know how to navigate that complexity. We're going to talk more specifically about that next week as we wrap up the series. But I want you to understand something, that it gets easier every time we choose to keep primary authority with God. It gets easier to do it the next time. But there is always a next opportunity to keep that primary authority with Him. So in that dynamic, choose courageous action. You can't separate courage from action. It's not just a belief inside. It requires an action Whatever is going on around you, don't let that define and shape what's happening, what's going on within you. Let let God transform what's in you as you submit to him so that you can influence the things going on around you and you can do that in a place where you fear less, where you deal with the complexity of people who really don't have your best interest or even, even care about him, but you can love them in a way that honors him where you deal with the complexity of a government, a government who doesn't always choose God-honoring things, you can still submit to that authority to a point. Because remember, the line between compliance and defiance is faithfulness to him, not the issue. It's faithfulness to him that defines our compliance and our defiance. And Daniel reached a point of that in his own journey. And he chose to keep primary authority with God. And God began to work out the rest of that dynamic as he kept a posture of submission and dependence. And he will do the same thing for you and I, every time we choose faithfulness. Every time. So fear less. Did you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that in the midst of a complex world and dynamic, that you are able and that you are greater. I I thank you that you call us into relationship through your son, Jesus, and that allows us to give you primary authority where we are positioned to to submit to established authority and and to relate to others. Because that is very complex, Father. But help us to do that in a way where we act boldly and courageously. Lord, Lord, help us to consistently work in our relationship with you for you to transform what's in us so that we can impact what's happening around us and not to let it happen the other way. May we stand with confidence in the circumstances, not in ourselves, but in you, not in our own strength and ability, but in you. And I pray, Father, you'd forgive us the moments we've drifted in that, in our uncertainty or or even certainty. Help us to remain faithful and dependent. And Father, for those that have not chosen to follow your son Jesus yet, may right now you just communicate your love. You're calling them to, to you and to more. So Jesus, take these next few moments as we worship Because our hope is in you, Father. We don't give in to fear. Our hope is in you. In all the complexity we face. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.